Hello, I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John. Welcome to the Chef John Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chef John Podcast. I am here with my co-host. Hey, Andrew, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, you know, just stretching my body out, getting ready, you know, because it's summer and, you know, this is the weather where those of us who are experiencing lots of arthritis, you know, start to feel a little bit better. <laughs> you mean, uh, you mean former, former catchers? Yeah, former catchers, former weightlifters, former people who could walk down the street without a limp. Yeah, I'm feeling like this is the weather. This is the weather for me. Like 89. Oh, no, we're into weather again. Oh, man. That's okay. It was natural. It, okay. It wasn't in, 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 you know, place of some actual conversation. I didn't mean it. I really didn't. I'm sorry. I really didn't mean it. Um, okay. Well, anyway, I, I love, I love summer and I love the warmth and it makes my body feel better. And uh, that makes me really want to do a podcast. That's what I want to do. I want to sit in a chair and do a podcast. Yes. When I think a uh, hot human, I think podcast <laughs> and iced tea <laughs> and iced tea. But I think the heat now that we're into the dog days, I think is something that is going to recur today. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about what do you do when it's hot? So what is that called, John? Um, what do you do when it's hot? No, no, no. What am I doing when I'm telling the audience that later on in the show, we're going to talk about things that are heat related? We are? Hold on. We're, we're, let me look through my notes. <laughs> where, where is that? That's foreshadowing, John. For which one? Oh, that would explain it. I never look at the polls. Let me see. Do you believe drinking? Okay, I don't want to give it away. That would have been an amazing segue had I even been aware of it. I'm trying, John. I'm, I'm really trying. I'm trying to get you there. Yeah, I was going to go with, what do you do on a hot, humid day stuck inside in front of a fan? Leave the Chef John podcast a five-star review and a couple comments. That's where I thought you were going with that. Well, I mean, I was going to get there eventually. Okay. Well, you know what? We're there. Okay. Well, that's fine. And you know what else you can do? What's that? You can visit us on social media at Chef John Pod on Twitter and Instagram. That's something you could do. Yes. And uh, we really do appreciate kidding aside all the, all the feedback, all the ratings, all the comments, all the uh, whatever I just said. Uh, so please let us know. But much more importantly, uh, leave a five-star rating and, uh, you know, a few words of encouragement and or uh, confusion, and we would appreciate it. And don't forget to leave us a voicemail because uh, you may be the next topic of conversation on the Chef John podcast. Okay, John, now that we've gotten the weather report and the arthritis talk and all the other sort of random ancillary things that we have a tendency to drift into here, I did want to ask you a question. Would you like to discuss a poll? Well, it depends on what kind. Like, I'm cool with aluminum, steel, flag, someone from Poland. We're not talking about an internet poll, are we? Uh, yes, we are, John. I thought you were going to say stripper poll. No, I have zero experience, and I believe I did say steel, and 84% uh, of all stripper poles are made of steel. Uh, I've heard that from people. Uh, I'm a big trivia buff, as you know. Yes, absolutely. I would love for you to introduce this podcast's official poll question and results. That's right, because we are back with our Run It Up the Poll segment. And uh, John, we had a really, really fun one that speaks to the idea that it's very hot now in most of the U.S. And we asked the question, do you believe that drinking hot things on hot days will actually cool you off? What do you think our audience said, John? I'm going to say they didn't believe it. Well, you would be overwhelmingly right, John. But let's hear your thoughts on it, because I have mine as well. 
Well, I actually believe it because uh, just for the very simple non-scientific reason that um, if you drink a hot drink on a hot day, just like when you eat a hot curry or a hot, you know, Thai larb salad, you start to sweat, which is your, of course, body's natural air conditioning system. And uh, that most definitely, I believe, cools you down. So uh, I've always been a believer of that. I heard that many, many years ago uh, in kitchens, of course, you, there was always the one odd cook that we were all pound in ice water and iced tea and other, you know, very cold adult beverages. And there was always tea guy or tea lady. They were always sipping out like a steaming hot tea. It always looked so strange on a hotline that's as hot as the tea almost. Uh, and they would always swear, oh my God, no, this is what you want to cool you down. Uh, and, you know, extra credit for ginger tea. But yeah, I know. I think it does work. Well, the good news, John, is that you are absolutely right. And not only are you right, but a neuroscientist at the University of Cambridge offered an answer to this conundrum. He said verbatim, Chef John is absolutely right. That's what he said. He wrote this paper to scientific communities everywhere. And he just wrote, Chef John is right. I don't remember signing a release for that. And maybe that's fair use. But uh, anyway, he cracked the case. Well, very good. And really, I'm so glad he's working on this instead of diseases, famine, you know, this is the kind of stuff I really want our top neuroscientists working on. Can't stress the importance of this enough. Uh, and by the way, just in case we have any new uh, podcast listeners, and this is the first Chef John podcast you've ever heard, this could be the first time I've ever been right. So I'm soaking it in, but please continue. John, I think that your theory that has been supported and uh, confirmed is that the hot drink raises the temperature the receptors in your mouth have a tendency to understand that when something is hot, that it should trigger uh, a sweat response. Now, this applies to hot food as well as spicy food, which has the same effect. Now, there's one caveat to this whole system breaking down and being just completely useless to us as human beings. You want to know what that is? Yes, I do. The polyester suit. Really? Yes. You know why? Why? Because it doesn't breathe. So if you're wearing a nice loose linen or you're wearing a cotton shirt, something natural fiber that allows the breeze to go through it, to hit the sweat as it beads up on your skin and cool you off, that's how the air conditioning works. But if you're wearing a leisure suit, like one of the uh, Mater D's at, what was it? Uh, uh, ye old Cook Shop, remember in a former episode? Just Cook Shop. It would have been better Ye old. At least the spelling would have made sense. <laughs> Well, anyway, that guy, he would not cool off because his polyester suit would hold all of his body heat in, hold all his sweat in. And not only would he be unpleasant to look at and smell, but he'd also be very uncomfortable. Well, I'm so glad we went over this. The timing could not be more perfect because I believe I still have like three days left where I can cancel my Amazon order for polyester boxer briefs, <laughs> which I ordered especially for the summer. And apparently those are not going to work out. No. That's going to create a problem. That's not going to be good for anybody. All right. Thank you very much. You've done me a fine service. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Well, now we know hot stuff on hot days. Good thing. Polyester suits, not so much. Conversely, cold things on cold days, possible hypothermia. Be careful. Well, John, I can't go too long without poking the bear. So that brings us to our next segment. One of my favorites, personally, things that drive Chef John crazy. So, John, 
Here we go. What is it that drives you crazy? Well, again, a perfect season to discuss this. One thing that's always driven me crazy is the grilled lettuce salad. I'm okay with grilled lettuce and I'm okay with salads. But if you're going to put lettuce in my salad, I don't want it grilled. Now, if we're doing a side dish for some, you know, meat that would be nice with a wet, soft, bitter element, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. Grill that lettuce, grill it, grill it good. But to me, a salad, and I'm thinking of a classic salad in all its traditional context, um, what happens to a, a, a lettuce when you grill it, it gets warm and it's not as crispy and crunchy and it just, it just doesn't do it for me. I don't need smoke on my salad. I don't need a kiss of hickory. I don't need a, a hint of applewood, a you know, suggestion of peach. I want just some crunchy cold stuff to eat my, you know, my blue cheese dressing with. So uh, I've never been a big fan of the grilled lettuce salad. And what bothers me even more, which possibly is actually the thing that drives me crazy, the chefs that do it think they just invented like, you know, cold fusion. They think it's so over the top, amazingly creative, and it's just a hot salad. It's hot lettuce. If you did it accidentally, you get in trouble in a restaurant. I don't know exactly what we're defining as a grilled salad, because the only thing I ever think of when I hear grilled salad is a whole like romaine heart yeah. sliced in half, grilled on the grill, and then put your dressing over the top of it. That's no good. You don't like that? I would like that. Hold the heat. Okay. I enjoy that salad, but I don't think making the lettuce hot and maybe a little bit smoky is improving it. Having said that, completely subjective. And as I used to tell my students in culinary school, your least favorite food is somebody's favorite food and vice versa. So, you know, if you like a hot, wet, slimy romaine salad, do your thing. But uh, I don't think it improves it. And also, it's okay if you're going to do it. By the way, let me give you a little tip out there, kids. Don't put the oil on it before you grill it. Vegetables generally should be grilled dry. So that, uh, again, one of my pet peeves and uh, arch nemesis, the aerosol oil that just explodes in a, in a grill and just coats your food with that gray soot, basically. And it's really strong and petroleum tasting. And that is absolutely what's going to happen when you soak a half a head of romaine in olive oil and put it on a flaming grill. It will grill, but it will taste bad. So if you are going to do it, no oil. And I think the same goes for most vegetables. You're grilling your, you know, you got your chicken going on the grill and you want to do some asparagus or some zucchini or whatever this summer, just throw it on there. It's not going to stick. Let it caramelize, grill it up, almost tender, tender crisp, as we say in the business. And then put it on the plate and drizzle it with the finest unburnt virgin olive oil and vinegar of your choice, et cetera. That's the way to go. Okay. So that doesn't drive me crazy. That I like. Uh, but grilled salads and the chefs that think they're brilliant, that drives me crazy. All right. So in a related topic, if you don't abide by grilled salad, one of my favorite salad ingredients is tomatoes. Can you abide by a grilled tomato? Uh, sure. Yeah, why not? A half a tomato put on a really hot, you know, uh, La Plancha, uh, just seared and then served as a warm, acidic component to a nice composed plate. Absolutely. Okay. So that won't drive you crazy. No, no, no. I just want to be careful because when I cook with you, near you, around you, I like a grilled tomato. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't like, you know, enraging you. Not unless you advertise this, you know, Andrew's classic summer 
tomato, you know, mozzarella salad. And then you come out with that and be like, hey, dude, why'd you cook the tomatoes? That would be my caprese parmigiana. <laughs> caprese. Uh, what's hot in Italian again? Caldo? Caldi. Tomato caldi. No grazie. Pairings, our favorite new segment here at the Chef John podcast, where we tell you what we're watching and then we tell you what we want to eat while watching it. John, I'm going to let you go first this week because I don't know what your show is. And I'm really curious. I think you will know after I describe it. You will be irresistible. Okay. The show is called Chloe. It's on Prime. As we've determined on this podcast in previous episodes, uh, it fits my perfect checklist for a streaming series, whether it's Netflix, Prime, whatever. Uh, It's usually has to be British. It has to involve some kind of mystery slash crime slash murder. It has to have people I think I know from another show, but I can't figure out. That always draws me in. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I am fascinated by the con. Oh. But anyway, Chloe is a woman who, and I don't think I'm giving anything away here, passes away. I've only seen, by the way, uh, four episodes. I don't know how many there are, so I'm not all the way through. Uh, So I will only spoil the beginning of the series for you. Uh, But anyway, Chloe is a woman who passes away. Uh, Her friend, former uh, childhood friend, apparently has been semi-stalking her on social media. Uh, And it seems to be apparently Chloe may be living the life she really wanted, you know, et cetera and so forth. And she just has to figure out what happened. She doesn't believe she uh, killed herself. She got a mysterious phone call the night of, you know, this apparent suicide. And she is consumed now, figuring out what happened, simultaneously pretending to be another person to get into these social circles so she can sort of interrogate slash sleep with her friends. Wow. It's a uh, tangled web they've woven, as they say. Uh, And it just has me on the edge of my seat and... Uh, Also, one of my favorite things about these British type uh, crime drama type shows, they always have some very vague, slightly blurry food on the table. I always try to figure out what they're eating. And it's always some like you can't quite some kind of casserole, but you're not quite sure. Is it pasta? Is it potato? Anyway, I'm pretty sure in one of the episodes they're eating uh, like cottage pie. Of course, shepherd's pie if it's lamb, cottage pie if it's beef. So that is going to be my pairing for watching Chloe on Prime, a nice, proper uh, British comfort food dinner. As you know, I like to make these easy to eat in front of the TV. So that's an easy one to uh, scoop out and put in a bowl. Uh, No slicing, no dicing. You just grab a spoon and you're enjoying Chloe with cottage pie. And we do have a couple of recipes, so feel free to check those out. But uh, yeah, I think you should definitely watch it. I think it's a a great uh, pacing. It's a slow burn, but not too slow. Enough happens to keep you sort of moving along. Um, and I just love someone that's on the edge of being found out as a con person or a fraud at any moment, but somehow they slip the noose and they move on to the next situation and then they're cornered again, but oh my God, amazing. They just got out of it again. And there's one character that knows her backstory, knows what's going on. She's also sleeping with him, by the way. So that's another whole, you know, subplot. So I'm really enjoying it. 
and I don't do a lot of Prime for whatever reason. I'm very loyal. You know, I'm sort of a Netflix guy, HBO, and and it takes a lot. Like I have to see at least three, you know, rave reviews from people uh, I know aren't crazy on Twitter. Where I go, all right, check that out. So uh, anyway, check it out, Chloe on Prime. I think you'll like it. That's cool. I do like the con movie, Ocean's Eleven and The Sting and the classics. There is no surprise here for me that, number one, you chose this type of show. Uh, and secondly, that all roads lead back to mashed potatoes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I have, I, have a, I have a problem. <laughs> it's okay. The first step is to admit you have a problem. So let's see, did every single one of my pairings this season have mashed potatoes? Maybe. Well, I don't know. Maybe not all of them. I know the sausage mash definitely had it in the, <laughs> the small uh, French mountain town there. All right. Anyway, what do you got? Uh, well, I do want to address one other thing. Yes, sir. It's just a curiosity. I understand the genesis of shepherd's pie, right? Because it's made with lamb and the the, the lamb and the, the sheep get shepherded by the shepherd. But cottage pie with beef, shouldn't it be called like cowboy pie? It should be. It should be like uh, cattle farm pie. Now, I'll let you down a little, uh, a little admission here. Um, contrary to popular belief, Chef John does not know everything about food. Not even close. Uh, and I just made up the part about popular belief. I don't really think many people think that. But anyway, I always thought shepherd's pie was mash and cottage pie was shingled potatoes over the top. Oh, right. Which looked like a shingle top of a cottage, which maybe I really haven't cared enough to research it. Maybe actually where that name comes from. And then because most shepherd's pie, all the recipes, no matter where Ireland, England, wherever you're talking, you know, half for lamb, half for beef. No one really cares. It's whatever you're going to use. So I think maybe... At some point, someone said, oh, no, it's called cottage because if you beef and shepherd's lamb, because the, the shepherd part made sense, they just filled in the other part. Like, oh, that must be beef, must be cottage. I'm pretty sure it's the potato. Okay. And in that case, all roads do not lead back to mashed potatoes. No. But uh, if it makes you feel any better, I make my cottage pie with mash. <laughs> and if it makes you feel even better, if I ever re-roof the house... We're going to go with some kind of uh, mashed potato-like plaster and definitely not shingles. That would be, <laughs> I think that's called stucco. Anyway, moving along. Moving along. Okay. My pairing this week, uh, also on Prime, but it happens to be part of the Brit Box cutout for Prime, uh, which focuses on uh, shows that come from the UK. And this is one that goes back quite a while. It is from 1991 to 2006. So it had a pretty long stretch. Now, the way a lot of these shows work in the UK is that they're all made like little miniseries and then they skip some time and then they go and they do another one a couple of years later. And this one happens to star Helen Mirren and she is Detective Chief Inspector Jane Tennyson. And the show is called Prime Suspect. Now, Prime Suspect is, in my opinion, one of the models for the modern British crime drama, the archetype of the tortured genius detective who can solve any crime, but can't figure out their own life, right? They can't have a successful relationship. Their relationships with their children fall apart, but they can catch everybody, right? So this is like Luther and it's like Cracker and it's like all these other shows that came during and after Prime Suspect. I love this show. I think that she is a brilliant and the nature of her character, especially over the span of 15 years, 
as she developed both as an aging person, you know, and watching the development of the character and how much, you know, they don't end her character's sort of run with a whole lot of good feelings. Like you watch this person sort of break down over time because when you're one dimensional, things tend to not end well for you. And I think that if you watch it over the course of time, because they skip years, you see this very interesting arc and that she became super famous during the midst of this, right? She became who she is now in the middle of all this, but she kept going back to this character. She kept going back to revisit this really kind of tortured genius character, which I really admire about her because I think like similarly with um, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, with Sherlock, uh, he keeps going back to play that character because it's sort of like his, uh, his touchstone to get back in touch with who he is as an actor. And I felt like this was the character for her to do the same. So it's a really brilliant show. And what they've done is they've created a new show called Tennyson based on the character that happens to be a prequel. So if you really love the idea of me telling you to watch this show, watch them in reverse. Watch the new show first and then watch the full range as it goes forward into time and watch the character age. It's a different actor, obviously, but it's a really interesting story arc to all of that. So it, you're getting a twofer here. You're getting a twofer. You're getting Prime Suspect, but you're also getting the prequel. So check out Prime Suspect and then go back and check out the prequel. And while you're doing that, you should eat a classic, classic British sort of fast food item that you can get in most pubs and, and everywhere else called a scotch egg. Now, if you don't know what a scotch egg is, hold on to your hat right now. So basically, it is a hard-boiled egg that has sausage meat on the outside, breaded and then fried. This is the epitome of the British cuisine right there. Sausage eggs coated in breadcrumbs and deep fried. Sit at the bar, have a couple of pints, and you're golden for at least the 15 years it's going to take you to watch all of Prime Suspect. So you're going to eat a lot of scotch eggs. You're going to need some you know, heavy-duty cholesterol medication, but you're going to love your life, and you're going to love Helen Mirren, and it's going to be wonderful. Well, I have not seen Prime Suspect, um, but as all normal people are usually, I'm a big Helen Mirren fan. And a huge fan of the Scotch A. Now I can count on one hand the number of you know final eating the final recipe money shots that I've actually nailed. Were like I would not have changed anything, and actually looks like a professional might have done it. Okay, the Scotch egg was one of them. Really? Yes. In every British pub, probably getting a hard boiled egg and a kind of takeout fast food, uh, but made properly at home or at your you know higher end. Pub, which are now called, of course, gastro pubs. They do it now with a soft-boiled egg, or at least still semi-molten, still a little bit runny, which is a completely different experience, taste and texture. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if anyone's interested in actually uh, doing this at home, and you don't need a deep fryer, you can just shallow fry it in a you know small pan. We did a really nice video, and it came out really looking as good as it tasted, which is always awesome. I mean, come on, an egg covered with sausage and deep fried. How's that not going to be awesome? That can't not be awesome. Right. I highly uh, recommend uh, your pairing the show to be determined, but it sounds like something I would like. All right. Well, get on that Brit box because I think you're going to like it. Then you get on that, Chloe. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> John, I'm so excited 
for our top five list this week, celebrities that share a name with food. This is exciting. The research was in depth. It's amazing how many people have names that they share with food. It is incredible. And yeah, I agree. I mean, I went down that rabbit hole for I mean, at least seven, eight minutes. I mean, really, you can categorize this in a lot of different ways, right? You can go TV, you can go movies, yeah. you can go athletes, you know, we can go in a lot of different directions. So I, I thought maybe a big jumble of them might be nice. So I figured all celebrities would just throw them all up in the air at once. So I think maybe I can go first this time. What do you think, John? After you. Okay. Coming in at number five, star of Uncle Buck and Spaceballs and Planes, Trains and Automobiles. John Candy. Now, of course, John Candy is no longer with us, but he was a brilliant comedian. He set the tone for his entire generation of comics and became a huge movie star and just influenced so many people, inspired so many people, and shares a name with pretty much my second favorite food behind peanut butter, candy. <laughs> so number four... The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, Mr. Footloose himself. Now, of course, if you share a name with a food as universally loved as bacon, you really got to deliver the goods. And Kevin Bacon absolutely has for decades, absolute decades of stellar character work, as well as being a leading man time and time again. He did this show about a serial killer who is modeling his whole serial killer life after the works of Edgar Allan Poe. And it was called The Following. And it was so creepy and so weird, but I really, really liked it. And it sort of got lost to history and uh, you don't really hear about it anymore. But honestly, I thought it was a great show. And I think, you know, his list is endless, but um, got a great food name. It's got a great career. And of course, every actor in Hollywood is only separated by five other steps, right? The wonderful game of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So I think we're all maybe only six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. Well, we haven't talked much sports here, but at number three, he happens to be one of the few players who have had World Series success with both the Mets and the Yankees, the two hometown teams here in New York, Daryl Strawberry. Fantastic name, seminal talent, constantly in the news <laughs> for different reasons, both positive and negative. But Daryl Strawberry is a fantastic name, fantastic baseball player. And since he's gotten his act together, I, I think he's a pretty good guy, too. I think he's uh, well-respected and he's been somebody I've watched since the time he was a 18 or 19-year-old kid breaking in with the Mets and lighting the world on fire in baseball. So uh, Daryl Strawberry at number three. Number two, I went Hollywood. I went so Hollywood here. I mean, I, we went Marvel Universe, among other credits to her name, the wonderful and talented Brie Larson, named after maybe the best of the French cheeses. <laughs> best at room temp, could eat it hot, could eat it cold. Brie is a wonderful actor, but she is also a wonderful cheese. I have a particular fondness for Brie Larson, not for her acting, but for a commercial she was in. She does a commercial series for Nissan. And in the series, she jumps through time driving different vehicles. 
And the one time she's driving the vehicle that I had when I was a kid, which was a, a Datsun, which is formerly what Nissan was called, a Datsun 280ZX. And she is in one of those cars in one of the commercials. And that touched my heart because I like her work. I think she's really pretty. I think she's got amazing talent, but she drives the car I like. <laughs> and number one, bring in all of his amazing and immense talent with him, John Hamm. John Hamm is Mr. Mad Men. And among other things, I just recently saw him in Maverick. And John Hamm uh, is funny. He's doing a whole bunch of progressive commercials right now with Flo. He's got a name of, a, of, of again, another amazing pork product. I mean, how can you uh, deny the fact that John Hamm both sounds delicious and is delicious? Well, that is a great top five. Uh, and I'm very excited to discuss it. Uh, and break it down. But uh, I think I have an equally impressive top five. Uh, and we're going to start with number five, Vanilla Ice. Ice, ice, baby. Now I'm picking this for a couple of reasons. First of all, vanilla, amazing flavor in almost everything. But a vanilla ice is in like a vanilla snow cone doesn't sound good. Like vanilla ice cream, I'm down with vanilla sorbet. Like pick another kind of frozen tree. But vanilla ice... There's a disconnect there. I'm not sure you know, exactly what it is. Uh, the other reason I picked it is vanilla ice is a perfect example of when people have the guilty pleasure, they like something they feel like they shouldn't, at least in certain social circles. But then ultimately it just comes down to you either like it or you don't. And you can't fake you know, not liking something really. I mean, we'll catch you tapping your toe to uh, Ice Ice Baby. Uh, <laughs> or maybe bobbing your head. We'll see how it works out. Depends on our mood. But anyway, Vanilla Ice, just probably one of the worst rappers ever, although I guess unfairly uh, treated by the record label. I guess there's a long, sad story regarding that. And then, you know, did the arc of almost every, you know, celebrity rock star, good news, bad news, in trouble news, settlements out of court news and so forth. But anyway, musically and dessert wise, I thought that would be an interesting choice, which brings us to number four, Jerry Rice. World famous wide receiver for my least favorite football team, being a New York Giants fan, having lived in San Francisco all these decades. Uh, well, formerly, now I'm up north. But anyway, um, Jerry Rice is one of those players that you have to respect, even if you hate them with every ounce of your being. I'm assuming recently there are some people that just detest the Warriors for all the good reasons, if they're not your team. But Darn, they really must have to admit Steph Curry's good and secretly kind of like him, maybe. Uh, so that's kind of Jerry Rice for me. You watch the highlights. I watched, you know, countless games. Just, you know, next level wide receiver, work ethic, team player. You know, just just a great all-around football player. One of the probably top 10 all-time football players. But New York Giants fan. No love for Jerry Rice in that context. Uh, but I really like Rice. And I respect his game. So, uh, you know, he had to make the list. That brings us to number three. Meatloaf. I mean, Meatloaf was the big brother, or more, more so the inappropriate uncle of my late childhood, early adolescence, mid-adolescence, where you're trying to figure out what's going on, especially possibly in the romance department. 
And Meatloaf is just dropping knowledge in those songs that is just vague enough to get wrong, but also somewhat helpful. And of course, just, you know, really a bigger than life character, literally a giant person, big voice, just rocked out, you know, passed way too early. He's, he's not around, right? Just recently passed. Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. Meatloaf had to make the list. One of my all-time favorite foods. Although as much as I like meatloaf, I might like a meatloaf sandwich even better. With mashed potatoes. With mashed potatoes. So now that I said that, all the music we hear now from meatloaf is technically leftover meatloaf. Wow. Rest in peace. All right. Moving along. Number two, Sylvester Graham, everybody. Huh? Now, it would have been easy to pick a celebrity with the last name Graham. There's a few. But during his time, and I'm really going to try to keep this PG-13. During his time, many years ago, 100 plus years ago, Sylvester Graham, in certain circles, was a huge celebrity. Not only did he invent the Graham cracker, which you might have guessed, the reason he did so was so controversial. He was trying to combat, and how shall I put this? Um, he was not a big fan of taking care of your own business. Okay. He thought it was just apparently the devil's work. So his idea, which is just brilliant, was a special uh, vegetarian-based diet centered around uh, bland foods. He was afraid if you ate foods that were too exciting, that would drive you to commit these crimes against nature upon yourself. I don't think many people realize the real story behind Sylvester Graham, but his uh, mission in life was to just everyone stop doing what you, you know what they, they're doing. And his brainstorm was like, I got it. Crackers. Now, admittedly, better than, you know, electroshock therapy and straitjackets and other things they tried at the time. But yeah, that's the story of how the Graham cracker and his crazy wackadoo diet came to be. Uh, and all kidding aside, he was actually kind of a big celebrity back then. And then he passed in a certain Mr. Kellogg, who I think we've all come to know the name, uh, sort of took up the mantle and <laughs> continued on with the, the bland food craze, which ended up being through some happenstance, uh, what we have today is cereal. So anyway, interesting story, not a name when you think of celebrities these days. But uh, I think a fascinating story, a great sort of, you know, iconic American food story. And uh, ultimately, his goal was not achieved. I think it actually made it worse. <laughs> I mean, I eat a couple of graham crackers and I'm like, hey, geez, I'm, is it hot in here? Uh, so that's my number uh, two, which brings us to number one. <laughs> Stefan Chef Steph Curry. Really? One of the great foods. Of all time, the greatest shooter of all time. Fair. Like if horse was an Olympic sport, he would never lose to anybody. You know, when the whistle blows and the guys put up the wacky shot, like behind the back, under the leg from half court, just because it's too easy to give the ball right to the ref. He makes those like half the time. Like I've watched all the Warriors games and he'll just whip it from three quarters. Court, and he'll make them on a regular basis. It's just insane. It's like Harlem Globetrotters, like in real life. Um, so Steph Curry, you know, I don't think I need to explain his celebrity and just a great all around ambassador for the game. Cool dude came up with the most adorable slash uh, brutal 
games over pantomime symbol with the night night celebration. Uh, I mean, if there's anything more gangster than that, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's so cute, but you just, I'm sure want to strangle them if you're on the other team. So yes, Steph Curry has my number one position on the top five food celebrity names. Wow. I'm going to go right into addressing yours. I'll give you a chance to go back to mine, but I got to get right into this. Please. While it's fresh. Your number five with vanilla ice. I mean, I'm still like recovering from the vanilla ice era of hip hop because I was a big hip hop kid growing up in New York in the seventies and the eighties. I memorized all the words to rapper's delight in the fifth grade. You know, I was into it. I would go break dancing, you know, it was a whole bit. And then vanilla ice happened. And not only is David Bowie rolling over in his grave, um, pretty much almost single-handedly killed hip hop. So um, I understand the idea. He has two food names, not just one. So I can't see him not making your list, but I need to take a deep breath after Vanilla Ice. You just brought back a lot of painful memories, but I accept that. Moving on, we go from Vanilla Ice to Jerry Rice. And like you, I am a long, I wouldn't say long suffering because we've won some Super Bowls, but we've had some rough times lately as Giants fans. It's something you and I have bonded over over the years, our, our suffering over watching them be great and then be a lot less than great. So you've given Jerry Rice a lot of love and a lot of respect from Giant fans because we struggled with them. They kicked our behinds quite a bit, but then again, they kicked everybody's behind. We got them a few times. Yeah, we got them a few times. That's right. That 49 to three game. I'll never. Yeah. Beat the 49ers with a 49. Just throw a 49 up on them. Very nice. Okay. I love this pick, uh, Jerry Rice. And listen, I love Rice. So, you know, how can you not? And now, of course, he does all these commercials with copper fit stuff and whatever. So he's old like the rest of us. So good on Jerry Rice. Meatloaf with your number three pick. I, like you, learned an awful lot from Paradise by the Dashboard Light. And one of my favorite parts of that song is Phil Rizzuto. They cut Phil Rizzuto into the song. For those of you who do not know, I mean, I know we are men of a certain age from a certain part of the country. Phil Rizzuto was a famous shortstop for the New York Yankees. And he was a great player, but he made his reputation later on as a broadcaster for the New York Yankees. And his tagline was, holy cow. And um, if you listen to Paradise by the Dashboard Light, the baseball announcer who is talking about the guy going from first to second to third and hopefully making it home is Phil Rizzuto. So that is my favorite part of your number three is the fact that you got a Yankee reference in there, which is great. Okay, I need to take a deep breath on this one because I had no idea who Sylvester Graham was. I had no idea about the history of the Graham cracker. And the fact that it's connected to self-abuse is maybe one of the most shocking bits we've ever done here at the Chef John podcast. <laughs> they're crispy, they're delicious, and they prevent self-abuse. <laughs> that was a genius pick at number two. Uh, I, I really love it. And I am feeling so much more edified for the experience. And you're number one, which has got to be one of the most predictable, self-serving unbelievably like 
ungenerous of you to throw Stephen Curry in our faces. Ah, exactly right. Chef John just did the sleepy, put put me to sleep bit. Sorry, it's night night. Night night, right. He just did the night night to me. I, I mean, listen, talk about long-suffering sports fans. Oh my God. I've been a Knicks fan since birth, unfortunately. I can't get the New York out of my blood. So I have no other reference than like Walt Frazier as my last, you know, great Nick player who won a title. So I'm so jealous and now reeling backwards from having to encounter your Steph Curry love here on the Chef John podcast. But I totally understand it. Jump aboard. Plenty of room on the bandwagon. (laughs) The dubs bandwagon. So I really like your list, John. There's a lot of pain in it for me. I mean, there is. There's so much pain in there for me. Um, But there was some highlights too. So thank you for an enlightening and a list that I'm going to have to sort of just recover from. Thank you very much. Well, I'm glad to be of service. And uh, you learned a little bit about the history of the graham cracker. Uh, I assume that will be shared after a couple of cocktails at a party at some point. Oh, that's a great one. Now let's get into your list. Okay. John Candy at number five, of course, one of my favorite movies of all time, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, uh, just maybe a perfect buddy film comedy movie. It takes a lot to laugh out loud at you know gags in a movie you've seen 10 times, but there's still some scenes in that movie uh, that still catch you and you're like, you got to chuckle. So John Candy, huge fan. Uh, very, very happy you picked that. Uh, now, unlike you, I'm not a big candy guy. You know, I like some sweet things here and there, but I, I almost never will buy candy in any form. Candy bar, a loose candy, bulk section, you know, maybe a sample one to make sure they're okay. But I just, I, I'm not a candy guy. Uh, I'm not sure why you think I would, might be. I mean, I look like I am. <laughs> but no, not a big candy guy, unless it's, of course, John Candy. Your number four pick, Kevin Bacon, not my favorite actor. Okay. For whatever reason, I have that with several actors, uh, male and female. They're amazing, but I just don't like to look at them on camera. And I cannot separate the image and feeling they convey, whether it's kind of a smart, alecky, smarmy kind of attitude. I like it's something. It just sets me off. Now, the weird thing is he's played every single role, you know, the entire gambit. So That's right. Yeah. You would think, I w- I'm sure there's dozens of roles I would have loved him. But, you know, I guess just the more popular ones. I was never a big Footloose guy. Um, although two movies, I did really enjoy him. Okay. Remember Tremors? Yep. I thought that was a really good kind of cult, low budget, sci-fi, horror. I, I really enjoyed him in that. Uh, and of course, Animal House, one of his first roles, maybe, was he like 15 years old? But the Footloose, I never could deal with the <laughs> Footloose. Uh, although I was a fairly amazing sock floor slider myself. So then you must be a big Risky Business fan too then. Oh, is that what that's from? Yes. Okay. Yes. Big, big Risky Business with Kevin Bacon fan. Now, who was that? Was that Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise. <laughs> Very close. I think they're both Scientologists, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not even going to go there. No, you shouldn't. Please walk that back. (laughs) We don't want them at our door. No, unless they want to be sponsors. Which reminds me, if you're interested in sponsoring the Chef John podcast, which means you give us money and we don't do anything. We just do the same podcast. We do the same podcast, except we tell everyone that you were our sponsor. And that we had your competitor's product and we didn't like it at all. So let's see, where are we with number three? Oh, yeah. Number three, Daryl Strawberry. I'm not a fan. Now, I'll tell you why. <laughs> I, at a certain age, was very much a conservative type person. 
I did not like rule breakers. I did not like anything that changed. Like, you know how awesome Muhammad Ali is? Yeah. And that everyone universally loves the guy. Mm-hmm. For a very small period of time in my childhood, because of my dad, I did not like that disrespectful young man. Okay. It was just a time and place. I understood authority and respected it. And I just, there was a way to do things. And then there was the wrong way to do things. And I was sort of in that mindset. This is really young. Then I totally went off the other end, like two faults. But anyway, um, Daryl Strawberry was one of the first ball players in that era that was kind of like, you know, I think I might just kind of do what I want and not necessarily worry about what some writer thinks or what some owner thinks. So um, that rubbed me the wrong way at that age, but respected the game, uh, was a, you know, not a fan of the Mets, which is where I really remember him. Although he had one of the best descriptions of him, the straw that stirs the drink. No, that's Reggie Jackson. Are you sure? Yes. What did they say about strawberry? I don't remember, but it wasn't that because that was Reggie. Yeah, you sure? The straw is right in his name. <laughs> the straw that stirs the drink. Right, you better check your facts. Maybe they reprise the phrase because there was straw in his name. It just makes sense. And he was a tall drink of water. You're not going to let this go, are you? No, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I already won the top five list and I'm getting to why in a second. Okay, great. All right. Number two, Brie Larson. Never heard of her. What? Captain Marvel? You don't know who Captain Marvel is? No, I don't do the comic book movies. <laughs> you know, they got comic book movies on paper now. Yeah, they're called comic books. They're stapled at the seam. Yes. So, no, I'm not a big comic book movie guy. Uh, I don't know the, you know, core of Avengers from the cult of heroes or any of those movies. Um, I'm assuming neither of those are movies. But apparently Brie Larson is a famous comic book movie actress. Yes, she is Captain Marvel in the Marvel franchise. Has she ever been in Star Trek? I don't believe she has. Okay, that's probably why I don't know her. One other thing I took exception with, don't let camembert cheese hear you talking about Brie like that. I was trying to tiptoe around that one, but... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big Brie fan. Uh, for a brief time, Michelle and I had a little side business back in the day. It was called The Better Brie. I don't even know if you know about this. I don't. One of my our 50 harebrained ideas that, you know, didn't necessarily work for various reasons. Now it worked on every level ex except commercially. All our products were so expensive to make and we couldn't charge like even what cost to make them, which is a, just a terrible business model. If you, if you kids are get, going into business, uh, take, if you only remember one thing from the podcast, you have to make more money than you spend. Uh, and so we took a Brie, we would take wire, piano wire and cut it in half uh, horizontally, open it up, and you got that nice sticky gooey center. And then we'd pack fixins in there, stuffins. Maybe it's dried cranberry and toasted uh, walnuts. Maybe it's uh, sauteed mushrooms with some fresh thyme. We'd sandwich it back together, wrap it in pastry, and then freeze it. And then we sold it like that. And people put it in the oven, 450 till it was browned, crispy on the outside, gooey in the middle. That's a great appetizer. So if you are a fan of the brie, uh, Larson or otherwise, uh, maybe give that a try. Uh, which brings us to number one. And here's why I won the top five list. Ham is spelled wrong. <laughs> and as if that wasn't bad enough, John is spelled wrong. J-O-N. Can a brother get an H? Uh, so John is spelled wrong. Ham has two M's. So not the food. 
Uh, aren't there famous hams you could have used that was spelled correctly? You could have at least tied for the best top five list. Jack Ham from the Pittsburgh Steelers. That would have been totally acceptable. And he looked like a ham. He did. Now, kidding aside, John Ham is one of my favorite actors. And to me, and this is probably kind of dumb, I think what makes like the best actors of our day are the actors that are as funny as they are dramatically effective. Like John Hamm could do stand-up. He's like has great comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bradley Cooper comes to mind. Yep. Uh, obviously, you know people like Tom Hanks and Harrison Ford. Like they all, they can do comedy bits if they have to, and it's really effective. But anyway, big fan of John Hamm. That's a good top five list. You lost on a technicality. Tough break for you with the spelling of both John and Ham wrong. So that's why I gave you the night night hand sign. Well done, nevertheless. So you just punished me with your list and then punished me on my list. So this is just all about Chef John just asserting his dominance. He's become the silverback gorilla of this podcast. Night, night. We love to wrap up the Chef John podcast each time with a discussion about who we want to eat with. So, John. Yes. Who do you want to eat with? I would like to eat with Larry David. Wow. Of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm fame uh, and formerly of uh, Seinfeld fame, um, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was the thumbnail sketch of what became uh, George Costanza. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think he's hilarious. And whenever I choose these people to have dinner with, I always assume they are being forced to go to this dinner. So I try to pick people that... I could deal with in that environment. As you know, I used to be a a fake food blogger and a media freeloader. Right. I pretended to be a food writer for about five years with a New York Times press credential, which was real. I was fake. That was real. And anytime I got set up interviewing a famous celebrity chef, I almost always blew it off and just went to the party because I knew they didn't want to talk to me. Why in a million years would they want to sit down with John Mitzowich from about.com food, American food site on about.com, you know, owned by New York Times Company. Thank you for coming. Um, They don't, but they're semi-polite and they sit through these questions. And I saw all my other food writer slash food blogger buddies go do the thing. And I always thought like, man, that person does not want to be there. What a horrible experience. So I used to like do them a favor by blowing off the interview or not showing up. Oh, I would tell them, I was sorry, something came up. And I would think, man, that's probably the best thing that happened to them today at the, you know, whatever, South Beach Food and Wine Festival. They didn't have to do this stupid 20 minutes with me. Uh, In fact, I told Bobby Flay, no thank you to an interview. (laughs) (laughs) And the PR woman was like, you're next. And I'm like, I'm good. She's like, you're good. I thought that's what you guys were all waiting around here for. I was like, nah, kind of came for, you know, a bite and a drink. Power play. And he was kind of about 10, 15 feet away. And he was kind of looking around like, is this dude not wanting to interview me? He didn't seem like really excited that I was like so completely indifferent that if I talked to him or not. Uh, and I'd already said hi to him, talked for about five minutes, you know, during the event. Uh, so I just left and he kind of went the other way. You know, part of me wanted him, you know, to be a little bit upset that uh, I didn't want to bother interviewing the infamous, famous Chef Bobby Flay. I don't know if you're a genius in this situation or just you have no, no idea. Let me, let me just jump in and answer. <laughs> Definitely wasn't genius. It was part laziness. Part arrogance. No clue about celebrity mindset either. So why I picked Larry David is because we would spend the whole dinner with him talking about how he got stuck doing this. 
and that I knew he didn't want to do it. And it would literally become an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where we end up having a good time because we're both self-aware of both of our positions in this relationship that's only going to last like an hour and a half, two hours at the most. Um, and I think he would be really fun in that scenario of a forced celebrity meeting someone clearly way less famous, some nobody. Uh, I think he would be one of the top choices for this mission to still have fun and totally agree that this is the last thing he felt like doing. And why would you interview me? Like, it would be a lot of that. Like, why me? What can I possibly tell you? Can't you just watch the Like, that would be the whole hour and a half. That's a brilliant way to tie up a whole bunch of stuff there, John. I really like what you've done there. And I'm going to do the same for you right now, because we can tie up a whole bunch of different loose ends in this episode, but one line from Seinfeld. Costanza, where is the calzone? George Steinbrenner, voiced by Larry David. Yes. <laughs> so we got Yankees, we got food, we got Larry David, all in one. And it's funny, they put him in like a fat suit. So it always looked weird because his head was not the right size. And those shots from the back, I always thought that was kind of funny. I loved when they did that whole thing where he worked for the Yankees. That was amazing. Well, that's a great one, John. I'm I'm so excited that you picked Larry David. I'm a big fan. And uh, the way you described it, perfect episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So, John, we've already established that I am a devotee of all things science fiction uh, I, my love of Star Trek evidenced here on the show, but uh, it goes deeper, John. The rabbit hole gets much, much deeper. And my person that I would love to eat a meal with is William Gibson. William Gibson is the godfather of cyberpunk writing. And he is very famous for his original novel called Neuromancer, which is part of this first trilogy. He has since written several subsequent trilogies. And I have read every word the man has ever put on paper and published. William Gibson is a prophet. He predicts things like the way Isaac Asimov predicted things in life. And basically, Neuromancer and a lot of his subsequent uh, writings have to do with the emergence of uh, computer life, uh, artificial intelligence, the idea of cybernetics, and he's so prescient and culturally relevant that if you read something that he wrote 10 years ago, it'll feel like he wrote it yesterday because it feels like so relevant and current in the modern time. He's a brilliant writer. He's so engaging and interesting on Twitter. If you follow him, he's at Great Dismal. And he's just a really fascinating character. And some of his um, books have been turned into movies, but uh, there's still a lot of debate about trying to turn his books into movies because of the brilliance of the way he writes. So William Gibson, I know you're probably not listening, but I am definitely one of your biggest fans. I'll give you an exact reason that maybe you should have dinner with me. So William Gibson wrote a book called Pattern Recognition, which is part of one of his trilogies. And in it, there's a character named Casey who wears this jacket and it becomes a part of the story and a store in San Francisco called Self Edge that I shop at on Valencia Street sells a jacket that was featured in the book. And they have a label in it that is specifically called the William Gibson version of this jacket. And the reason it's the, the William Gibson version and the version that's 
uh, different than anything else they sell is that it has no labeling on it. You don't see any logos, any labels, and it's all black. And um, I bought it because it's the jacket from the book and I had to have it and I had to sell two other jackets just to afford it. But it is definitely evidence of my enormous fandom for William Gibson, the godfather of cyberpunk. What exactly is a cyberpunk? First of all, and then I'll figure out what the writing is. So you use the word punk to sort of, you know, evoke the idea of anti-establishment and then cyber meaning what we all know what cyber means, right? So his writings are considered cyberpunk, which is sort of the warnings of our um, involvement with technology in society, right? So he writes these sort of cautionary tales about what it means to engage with technology on this level and how we've kind of gone down this rabbit hole and there's no real coming back from it. The whole genre has a very noir feel to it, except it's steeped in science fiction and technology. So it's very cloak and dagger. It's usually very mysterious. And there's always a very action oriented sort of story behind it. And the cyberpunk label applies to a number of different authors. But they're sort of the next generation of science fiction writers that sort of emerged in the 1990s. Very good. So I was channeling my uh, English literature degree right there because originally what I wanted to do is become an English professor, but I ended up here on the Chef John podcast instead. So as we come to the end of another episode of the Chef John podcast, we have to ask him, John, what did we learn today? Well, um, as usual, probably too much. But besides that, what we learned today is if you're hot, do not reach for that cold drink. Go counter intuition. Grab the hottest, steamiest, spiciest beverage you can take. In fact, just drink a big old bowl of that super spicy Thai coconut soup. It is hot. It is acidic. And it will cool you down like nothing else. And by the way, we have that scientifically verified. We also learned that if you're listening to Paradise by the Dashboard Light by the uh, late, great Meatloaf, the baseball announcer you hear break into the song with the famous dash from first to home is in fact, Phil Rizzuto, whose nickname was Scooter. And last but not least, when discussing, let me look at his name, William Gibson or Billy Gibson, as his friends called him. (laughs) You can't be a cyberpunk and be called Billy. No, they probably went William. William Gibson proved, I think once and for all, that uh, you do not have to be profitable to be a prophet. Because I assume he didn't make that much money writing about cyberpunk stuff. Oh, no, he's super, super rich. rich. I take it back. Although it did remind me as I want to finish. You know that song by the Killers? I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Yes. I think they should write another song inspired by him. I'm not a prophet, but I'm profitable. Anyway, I'll get to work on that. Is that enough? Did we learn enough? We learned enough. All right. Then all we have left to do is one thing. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, give us some feedback. Give us a rating. And uh, that's it. Say goodnight, Andrew. Good night, Andrew.